All right, I just want to ask you a question uh, this morning. I just want to kind of paint a picture uh, for you. You are running a, a little bit late. Maybe it's a Tuesday night, a Wednesday night, a Thursday night, and you don't have a lot of time for dinner. You just have to, like, get something on the table for whoever is in your family. Maybe it's just you. Maybe you have a family of four, family of six, family of three, and does everybody know, like, what your go-to is going to be? Like, your go-to quick thing? You guys are in trouble if you guys don't know. Uh, we live in a world in a time where it's, where it's good, it's helpful to kind of have, like, your go-to quick meal. I have to tell you, in other seasons of my life, I used to crush these things for breakfast. In my college and maybe, like, post-college days, maybe longer than I'd want to admit in front of a group of people. Uh, brown sugar cinnamon Pop-Tarts are the best. You can fight me later if you don't believe me. Um, also, in other seasons of my life, these like pepperoni hot pocket things, which seem like a really great idea until you realize how hot that actually is and burns your mouth that's five trillion degrees. You experience that, oh, I think this is ready, and it's not ready. So how you cook a hot pocket is, you put it in the microwave, and then you put it in the freezer for 10 minutes, bring it out, and then you can eat it. Um, but I, I Googled this week, so I was like, oh, I wonder if there's like some ideas, there's some recipes, there's some food that like, like top 10 meals that like take a while, that take time to cook. And I will tell you what kept coming up was like, hey, 20 meals that you can make in 20 minutes, 50 meals you can make in 30, like that's not a thing. Like, there are some foods that take a while. Like, if you're going to do homemade noodles, homemade noodles are going to take you a little bit. If you're going to, like, smoke some meat, that's going to take you more than 10 minutes. If you're going to do a turkey, it takes way, way longer. I remember one time I wanted to make, well, I shouldn't say that. I wanted to heat up uh, Stouffer's lasagna, and those things are, like, really, really frozen, right? They're not just, like, a little bit frozen, they're very, 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 very frozen. It takes a while, right? Something that we need to understand today, understand about God, about his nature, about his character, about who he's called us to be, that's not always going to happen in a way that is speedy. Change and transformation and growth, it takes a while. And so there's a patience that we need to just kind of be ready to embrace and get our arms around, not just in other people's lives, but in our lives as well. Uh, that I think sometimes when you are impatient with another person, I know this is true for me, when you are impatient with another person, where another person is at, it's really because there's something inside of us, inside of me that I'm impatient with. And if you open up your Bible, and you can kind of page all the way to the back, you're going to find these maps, right? And there's all different kinds of maps. Like in my Bible, uh, I see my, one map says World of the Patriarchs. So you could get lost in that for a while. Uh, Exodus and the Conquest of Canaan, Land of the Twelve Tribes, Kingdom of David and Solomon, uh, the ministry of Jesus, Paul's, like you have all of these maps. And so you can kind of see like, oh, actually 
like the, the story of God, it takes place in actual space and time. And you can actually like go and you can visit where some of this stuff happened. It, it roots it in history. So we're not just talking about fairy tales. We're not talking about somebody's opinion. We're talking about like the actual dirt where God embraced humanity and how he worked among them to bring his kingdom in powerful ways. But there is a place that you're not going to find on any kind of map. You're not going to find it on the Old Testament map. You're not going to find it in a New Testament map. And I think it's one of the most significant places we will ever be as followers of Jesus. And it's called the pasture. And I believe that, that the pasture, the pasture is a place where you learn. It's a, it's a place where you grow. It's a place where you develop. Don't worry if you're nervous, there's no sound. I just wanted you to kind of get a picture uh, for things. This one day in seminary, I had a spiritual formation professor, and she put this video on, and there's like one tiny part where the sound worked, and got to that part, and it wasn't working, and all of us panicked. We're like, how can I help fix this? Like, it kind of created this anxiety. There's, don't worry, there's no sound today. It's just the background. And I just wonder today, like, what are some of the pastures that you have lived in in your life? Like, what are some seasons, some places where you have learned, where you have grown, where you have developed? Like, what happens to you if you're in that pasture for a while? Like, not 10 minutes, not one hour, not one day, not one week, not one month, but, like, what happens to your heart? What happens to your soul when you're in the pasture? You know, King David, we're going to be talking about him for the next couple of weeks. We've talked about King Saul, and he kind of has his rule, his run in Israel, and that's going to come to an end. And it kind of comes to an end in a big crash. <laughs> if you read through the book of 1 Samuel, it is not a peaceful landing. You know, like you're coming into the Joe Foss airfield, right? And you land, and you're like, oh, that was a very smooth landing and there are other landings that are not so that way. Saul's ending is kind of like the pilot fell asleep and just right at the end crashed and it was okay. That's kind of the ending that King Saul has and King David is going to take over for him in the book of First Samuel but he's a, a big time figure in the Bible. So the, the town of David, Bethlehem, is this place where he's born, right? The, the city of David this, this place where David rules, Jerusalem, the Israeli flag, if you had an Israeli flag, you would see a, the star of David. About 15 times in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as the, the son of David. So there's a moment in the scriptures when there's a, there's a man who's, who's begging by the side of the road, and he's the son of David. Would you save me? Would you heal me? Jesus, son of David. Uh, David's name shows up 893 times in the, New, in the Old Testament. And his story covers like 66 chapters in the Bible. Like it's a big portion of the scriptures. 
And I want to kind of catch you up the situation in 1 Samuel 16. So if you're with us last week, what happens in 1 Samuel 15 is that Saul disobeys. And past his disobedience, he throws blame on the people around him for his disobedience. So we kind of talked about this whole idea that we have two choices when disobedience emerges. That we can choose self-deception. Like, oh, well, it's not that bad. It's not that big of a deal. It's probably somebody else's fault. Or we can repent. And then in 1 Samuel 16, God sends Samuel to this guy Jesse's house. Jesse lives in Bethlehem. And God says, Samuel, go to Jesse. And he's got some boys. There's eight of them. So he's got enough for four-on-four basketball. Right? There's eight boys in the house. And I'm going to pick one of them. Like one of those boys is going to be king of Israel. One of those boys is going to take Saul's throne. And so Jesse brings out his sons uh, to Samuel. And it's interesting, if you read the account, there's only three of them that are named. So if you're a sibling of somebody and you just kind of feel like you're left out, like it's always your brother or it's always your sister or it's always somebody else, like you can kind of identify with this because we only hear of this guy Eliab, Abinadab, and Shema. Those are the three boys that we hear of. And the, the other boys just didn't get named. And they kind of, they pass in, in front of Samuel. Right? So they, they have this moment where I don't know if Samuel's sitting in a chair or he's at their supper table or he's in the living room, whatever, and they kind of like pass by and God's like, nope, not that one, not that one, not that one. And then Samuel says to Jesse, like, the Lord hasn't chosen any of these. Like, do you have any more? So 1 Samuel 16 verses 10 and 11. We're just going to read two verses today. So if you ever feel I'll come to church that I read a lot of verses, which some of you do, because you're only getting two today, all right? So maybe we can read them several times since you're only getting two. So beginning in verse 10, Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to them, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. And then something kind of weird. We will not sit down until he arrives. So it's not going to be this one. It's not Eliab. It's not Abinadab. It's not Shema. Like, it's not those. It's not these other ones you have. Do you have any more? Yes. Well, I've got the youngest. He's in the field tending sheep. Well, go get him. And we're going to wait for him. And we're going to see if this is the person that God has in mind. And it's interesting how that's David, how David is described in this text. He's called the youngest. And I want to show you in Hebrew, it's this word haton. So it's like you got to get to do a loogie in the back of your throat. Haton. And it means like little brother. Or it means runt, or even baby. Like, this is like my baby brother. And, and this is not a, a statement on David's size, right? Because even later, if you keep reading in this account, 
you find that David had handsome features. And we always think that that was like a good thing, that that's like David's this desirable person. But to be noticed in that way in the ancient world is actually not. It's like he's cute, like my cute little brother. Um, this word haton, they would have used to describe like your pinky finger, right? Like not really, I mean, significant if you're trying to swing a golf club, right? But like not the one that gets the most attention or the most love. And this is David's experience. Speaks not to his size, but to his status, like to his place. I mean, he's not the only one who would have ever worked in the field. Sometimes I hear this taught, and I'm like, no, it's not that David, all the boys are in the house, and David's in the field. No, they're all in the field. They're all helping. But when they hear that, that Samuel is coming to Jesse's house, who stays in the field, but the Hatton, the youngest, the pinky, the little baby brother, because there's not a chance that he's going to be the next king of Israel. And I think today, if we're going to understand the heart of David, if we're going to understand what makes him tick, we need to understand the pasture that prepared him. And if we're going to understand the heart of God, we're going to need to understand the role of the pasture in your life and in my life to be the kinds of people that God has intended for us to be. God uses the pasture in our lives actually a lot. And I happen to think that for most of us sitting in this room, the most significant place in your spiritual journey and in your life is when you're in the pasture. I think that's the place that you're going to be developed. I think that's the place that you are going to learn. It's the place you're going to grow. Let me tell you about the pasture. Like, lots of things happen in the pasture that nobody else is going to know about. The significant work that God is going to do, it's not going to be advertised. There's no cameras in the pasture. There's no awards handed out in the pasture. There's no dad of the year or mom of the year or employee of the month in the pasture. It's just you and the work God has given you to do and your God. That's who's in the pasture. And the pasture pushes against productivity this idea that, oh, we have to like make all of these things happen and I kind of base how I feel about myself by how much I'm getting done. God has different eyes for all of that than we do. And so the common experience when we're in the pasture is that we want to get out. Like we want to leave. Ever been to some kind of gathering and you're just like waiting for that moment when you can just kind of slowly sneak out? Okay, good, just me. I can't see your faces, so I have to imagine. That's our relationship with the pasture. Like, we don't want to hang out there. We don't want to stay there. Like, it, it's hard to be in a place of learning, in a place of growth, in a place of development. Like, it's easy when the weights are light. I could do this all day. 
it's a lot more difficult. It is not as fun when they get heavier and when you want to quit. And so I want to tell you what happens in the past year for David. There's three things that he did. He tended the sheep. Like he made sure that they had food. He made sure that they had water. And I don't think this was easy work, right? If you've ever tried to, to feed a group of anything, you know, but maybe it's, I don't know, several cats, maybe it's several dogs, maybe it's several little humans. I don't know whoever it is, but it takes work. It's not easy to do. And so don't think when David is feeding and watering the sheep that this is somehow easy work for him. It's difficult. So he does this. So that's the provision part. So he tends the sheep. He provides for them. The, the second thing that happens in the past year is that he overcame predators. So he serves as protector for the sheep. So he provides for them. He's the protector from other wild animals. What we know about sheep is that they like to wander. They don't like to stay in the same place. And so kind of imagine David like running after, like, like nope, over here, over here. Nope, you, now you stay. It's work to protect them. And then the last one, he tended the sheep, he overcame predators, but he wrote songs of worship. And so when we look at the Psalms, the Psalms are filled with David crying out to God and writing things like, the Lord is my shepherd. Like, I have all I need. Makes me lie down besides quiet waters. Right? There's a, the restoring of my soul. Like, these are these words that David writes when nobody's watching, when no one's looking, looking and he's just haton. He's the youngest. He's the pinky finger in a field by himself with his sheep. God. And I just was thinking about who Jesus has called us to be and what Jesus has asked us to do. And I think he's called us to do what happens in the pasture. That we would tend for other people. We would, we would provide nutrients for other people. That he's given someone to all of us that we should have our eye on. And maybe it's not providing actual food or actual water. Maybe it is. But then he's given us someone, a group of people that, that we should protect from the things that want to steal and kill and, and destroy. And so we're, we're called to tend. We are, are called to protect. But we're also called to praise. That in the middle of all of that, David lifts up these songs of worship to his God. And you know, David's not the only one in the scriptures who ends up spending time in the pasture. They're, they're actually, it's all over the place. I won't tell all of the ones that I wrote down this week, but the, the first one that I really thought of was Moses. You know, you might not realize this, but, but Moses is like an actual shepherd, something like 40 years before like this burning bush experience. If you're new to the scriptures, you know, God shows up in Moses' life in this plant, and he just, like, lights it on fire. It's like, boom, one day. 
and he speaks to him through that. For 40 years, he's in the pasture. He's learning. He's growing. He's developing. Why? Because God has something that he is going to ask Moses to do, and he's just not ready yet. It turns out, like, just because, just getting something done fast does not mean that something is being done well. And so it's going to take time. And we can move on from Moses. Uh, A New Testament person that I thought of was this guy, Peter. And he's not an actual shepherd, right? He's a fisherman in the scriptures. What's his pasture? I think his pasture is getting in that fishing boat day in and day out. You imagine getting in that fishing boat when you start to get a little bit older? Tried to get in a boat before anybody? It's it's impossible to look cool doing that. You're like trying to step in. It is not stepping on like normal ground. And you know I'm right. That's just like how, so imagine getting a little bit older, trying to get in that boat and like reaching for somebody, right? I think that's a picture for the pasture that Peter was in. And so some days he goes out and, and there's, there's no fish. And some days he goes out and it's a struggle. And some days it's a storm. And some days he's just not feeling it and he's annoyed. But then some days he encounters the living God because Jesus will say, hey, throw your nets on the other side. Well, why in the world would you do that? I do this every day. And there's no stinking fish. And they throw their nets on the other side, and what happens? They have more fish than they can even handle, which is a picture I don't really love a ton. But there's just a lot of fish in that moment, a lot of provision, a lot of grace in that moment. And the boat prepares Peter for when that risen Lord is going to say to him, that, that, that miraculous king who says, throw your nets on the other side. When he says, like, hey, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. I'm going to give my life. And then more than that, I'm going to be raised to life again. And Peter's not good with that plan. Peter doesn't like that idea. doesn't like the idea of Jesus giving his life. Peter wants to fight for Jesus. And then there's a moment Jesus travels into heaven to be united with his Father. And who is it that steps up? It's Peter. This person who had spent day after day, moment after moment, in the pasture of his fishing boat, who was made ready to stand up and preach that first sermon and like 2,000 people come to know God on that day. And then Paul, another person I thought of, he tells the Philippian church not how hard his pasture time was, but how awesome it was. Like he talks about the, the background that he comes from and he lists a few things. He says that he was circumcised on the eighth day, which for some people it's like, why is that important? It's a big deal. It's a sign of blessing. It's a sign of belonging in the ancient world. He's of the tribe of Benjamin, which was a significant tribe in the nation of Israel. He calls himself the Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. 
also says that as, as far as righteousness is concerned, he says faultless, which I feel like is a really brave thing to say. Faultless. But he says, given all of that, like the, the awesome days of pasture that I have, in Philippians chapter 3, he tells this little growing Jesus community that as great as that was, I would give it up to grab on to the only thing that counts and to know Christ in the power of his resurrection. So I will throw away the circumcision. I will throw away the tribe of Benjamin. I will throw away the Hebrew of Hebrews. I will throw away as far as righteousness faultless if it means that I can grab on to knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. And so today, I just don't want any of us to discount the power and the transformation and the grace that we can find in the pasture. I think it is what enables us to endure hard days. I think the pasture is what enables us to absorb a punch and to still believe in the goodness and the faithfulness and the power of God. And I don't know, maybe there's some of you in here who have had a difficult 12 months, maybe one or two of you. And the thing that's going to help you stand is the moments you've spent in the pasture with God, where you have learned, where you have grown, where you have developed. But there's another thing that I want to say, too, that I think is important. That before you decide, like, where another person is going to end up, like, before you decide, like, what is to become of someone else, like, is it possible, would you consider that maybe the days that they are spending are days in the pasture? Like, they might be in a place of learning. They might be in a place of growing. They might be in a place of developing. And we are foolish people if we are not willing to give those people that space to learn, to grow, and to develop. It is also a mistake for you to believe that about yourself. For you to decide, like, what's going to happen to you? Like, what is to become of you? For you to, like, write the last chapter to your story and sign your name and shut the book and put it on the shelf and know, man, why do I always do this? Why does this always happen? Like, I knew that I shouldn't have. This is how my story is going to end. It's possible that right now in this moment, you're still in the pasture. And there might be a whole bunch of people who, when they think of you, they think of you as Hotong, the youngest, the baby brother. And so you need to give grace to other people for them to spend some time in the pasture. And I think even more than that, speaking to a Midwest culture people, you also need to give that to yourself. Because that's harder, I think, for a whole lot of us. There's a whole lot of us who decided, this is just what is going to become of me. The pastor has a different word. 
I've got to be careful how you say that. The pasture, the pastor, right? It's, you know. So as we end today, I'm going to invite the band up. There's a question. Oh, no. Bam, I need your help. Go back. I have two questions. Thank you, Bam. Uh, so question one. And just, just imagine. I know for most people in the room, this is going to be a no. But just think about it. Is there someone in your life that you're having a hard time with right now? Like, is there someone in your house? Is there someone in your family? Brother, sister, mom, dad, husband, wife. Having a hard time with a child? Having a hard time with a parent? Like, is there someone in the, the context of your work community and you're just like, you just have a hard time with them? Is there someone who shows up on your social media news feed that you're like, mute you for another 30 days and you just have a hard time with them? Is there someone that shows up on national TV and you just have a hard time with seeing their face. I want to ask you to consider this next question that Bam's going to put up on the screen for us. Is it possible that they're still in the pasture? That they're still learning? That they're still growing? And that they're still developing as a person? And instead of labeling them haton, the pinky finger, the youngest, the baby, the insignificant, the person who belongs in the field, because there's not a chance they're going to be chosen to be king. What would happen to you and what would happen to them? What would happen to that person? If you began to pray for their time in the pasture and not, oh God, keep them in the pasture for their whole life. Make sure they never come close to me. No, God, would you do a miracle in their life in the pasture? Like, would you show up when the, when the lion and the bear come to devour the sheep? Would you give this person the boldness to stand up and stand between the one who has come to destroy and the one who needs to be saved? Would you, would you help them see themselves the way that you see them? Would you give them power? Would you give them grace? Would you give them some maturity? Like, what would happen to you? What would happen to the way that you think about them and see them? But what would happen to them? And could then you get to be a part of, of, of their transformation story, their growth story? Because I don't know, think about the days you've spent in the pasture, and I just wonder like, if you can name one or two or three people who just prayed you through that season of your life who were available and present and they did that for you. 
Because David doesn't stay haton. He doesn't stay pinky finger. <laughs> Some of you are never going to see your pinky finger the same way after this message today. You're going to give it more attention, which will be good. He doesn't stay haton. He doesn't stay the youngest, the baby, the little brother. What becomes of him? David becomes Melech, king, over all of Israel. And is he perfect? No. Does he make mistakes? Yes. But what God says about him is that he's a person that's after his heart. And if you ask me, like, what's God calling us to? It's God calling us, God is calling us to be people who are after his heart. And I think it's going to be impossible to do that if we will be unwilling to pray for other people who we know are in the pasture. So here's what pastors have a reputation of doing. At the end of a message, they say, so go and do that, but not here. We want you to do what I'm asking you to do somewhere else. And today, I want to give you some time to pray for the person you're having a hard time with, for that person that might be in the pasture, who might be learning, who might be growing, who might be developing, and it's the person you don't want to, that's how you know that's the one, that one. The one you'd just rather not, thank you. That's the one. And I can guarantee you something is going to happen within you and something will happen within them if we would be those kinds of people. This book is filled with those stories. And it is my heart and prayer that this church would also be filled with those stories. So the band's going to play for a little bit, for a couple minutes. And we're going to pray for those people together. And then we'll sing. Pray that you would enter into this time with trust. That God has something that he wants to speak in and over your life.